Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you, Lord, just giving thanks to you. You are our Lord and Savior. You are King of Kings. You reign on the throne in all majesty, Lord God. We can just take this moment right now to envision you in heaven, looking over all your majesty in glory. And we could take this moment and pause to reverence you, Lord. We're so grateful that you love us. We're thankful that you protect us. We're grateful for your word. And we're thankful for your provision. We hope and pray on this morning that we receive your word, that we understand your word, and that we apply your word. We pray for those aren't, that are not with us this morning. We hope that those within our congregation are joining in with us to receive your word. We pray for those who are lost and don't know you or, or who have strayed from you, Lord God, in this very trying time. I hope and pray that they will seek you, they will turn to you, and they will ask for your protection and your provision. We hope and pray that our leadership is, continues to be strengthened, Lord God, as we go through day by day, moment by moment, having to adjust and adapt. But the one thing that remains constant, Lord, is your word. So we're glad that we have you to depend on, you to rely on, and you who remain steadfast. We thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. Put your hands together. We're going to go back just a little bit, just a little bit. So I hope you all can join in with us. How many of you all have faith? You have faith?
For those of us who believe that the Lord is faithful to us, grants us grace and mercy, deserved and undeserved, amen, we're just grateful to him for believing in us and holding us in his loving arms. And so while we are here and while we are able we should sing praises unto him because he's worthy. He's magnificent. He's gracious. He's kind. Greatly to be praised. Join in with us. I sing praises to your name. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name. 
sing praises to your name.
Morning, solid word. Is his name great? All right, come on now. Regardless of how we feel, his name is great. Regardless of our circumstances, his name is great, isn't it? Regardless of where we are and what he has given us, his name is great. See, I hope you're getting, I hope you're getting what I'm trying to say. His greatness has, has, has nothing to do with you or me. His, he, he stands alone as great regardless of what's happening with you and I. And we have to, if we can embrace that, yes, we may be struggling. Yes, it may be painful. Yes, we may even be confused and not quite get what's happening. But what doesn't change is the greatness of God. And as long as we can remember that, that God sits on his throne, that he has not abdicated it, that it has not gone away, if we can remember that, embrace it, and live by it, it will change us drastically. And so for us today, please, above all, remember God's greatness, and you actually want this, God's greatness doesn't depend on man. We don't make him great. And sometimes I know in our songs, it will, it will erroneously say things like that. Let's make him great. And you didn't make him great. He was great before you were born. You know, let's, 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 let's make his name great. Ah, you mean let's proclaim him greatly. But the issue becomes God is great whether you close your mouth or not, whether you open your mouth or not, whether you believe that he is who he says he is or not. It has nothing to do with that. He was great from the beginning. He's great in the middle, and he'll be great at the end. And for us this morning, I'm really hoping that we continue to get a sense of it because, you know, in all that's been happening, we can lose sight of that. In all that's been going on in our world and in our country, we can lose sight of that. We can begin to question, God, are you really? God, are you really? And what I would suggest you do, we have so many scriptures and incidences of people in the Bible that had that very same question along in life and God answered them. And why did he reveal that? To you and I, why did he show that to you and I? So that we can understand you aren't the first one to ask that question. You aren't the first one to wonder and to worry and to be concerned. But he said, if I answered them that way, and I've told you that I've never changed, that I am who I am back then, and, I, and I'll be that way in the future, what he's getting across to you and I, nothing has changed. Although everything may have changed around us, nothing has changed in God. So good morning. I am really glad that we are here again um, as we continue in our journey <clears throat> through um, gospel-shaped mercy, and as we continue to hear what God has to say about the critical nature, about how important mercy is to us and for us. I'm going to save our announcements for at the end, and uh, that way we can jump right into God's Word. And so if you would stand with me, I want to have us to have a time of prayer, and then we're going to get into God's word. <clears throat> Father,
Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you alone are God, that your name is great, that you are the one, O oh God, who rules. You are the one, O oh God, who is, who is in control. You are the one who is sovereign. There is none like you. And because there is none like you, Father, we are to give you and you only worship and praise. <clears throat> and so we thank you for yet another day that we could corporately come to worship. Thank you for those individual and those family times throughout the week that we were able to come together, Lord, and allow you to be in our presence, Lord, and us to be in yours. I thank you, God, that you've given us the opportunity to get into your word individually and in our small groups, Lord, and with our families. But I thank you for this time that we can gather, that we can come back together in person and encourage one another. And so, Father, today I pray that if there's any that are coming in among us, <clears throat> Lord, that are downcast, Lord, that are confused, Lord, that are bitter, Lord, that are wondering what's going to happen next, I pray that they would be engulfed with and surrounded by your presence. That, Father, that as they know of your character, it would cause them to realize, Father, that you are not wrong, you are not evil. Father, you are good and you are always good. And the things that you do and allow are good. Father, you reward the righteous and you deal with the wicked. And I pray, God, that you would help us to understand and the rest in that. And so this morning, as we get into your word, I pray that you would take our hearts and minds and allow them to focus on who you are. Lord, as we see your character through your word, Father, may we believe it. And then may we live like we believe it. May we make the changes, God, that you are calling for. And Father, may we live the life that you have ordained. For those that don't know you this morning, I pray that you would continue to rest on their hearts, O oh God, who you are and the call to live for you. Not a call to live for man and a bunch of rules and regulations, but Father, to live, O oh God, I'm in love with you because you've loved us first. And because we live out of love, Lord, and we live because we're in love with you, Father, we'll share that love with this world, wanting them to come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And so I pray you will strengthen us for this new week. <clears throat> All the challenges that are ahead of us, I pray, God, that you would help us to be ready for it. Lord, ready because we have entrusted ourselves to our faithful creator. And that, Lord, as the scriptures say, that we continue to do good. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. We are going to be toggling between two chunks of scripture this morning. I won't read all of um, those sections, but we'll have the scriptures from them. You can, and I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be looking at a very familiar story <clears throat> um, this morning. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, that is the story of what we know as the Good Samaritan or the account. Sometimes when we say story, we think, you know, we have a tendency to think that it's fictional. The account, in, or, and in, in this case, the example that Jesus is using of the Good Samaritan. And then also, 
we will be using um, Matthew 25. Jesus is um, coming down to the close of his uh, discourse in 25, right before he was going to head off to die for you and I on the cross, what he had to say in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And so we'll be toggling between those two as they will help us to unpack and to uncover this whole issue of mercy, hearts made soft. Mercy, hearts made soft. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> and today we're going to tie in what we've looked at in the previous weeks. Um, in the three previous Sundays, we've actually seen that God desires shalom, peace, which is wellness as well as the absence of conflict. But it is wholeness and wellness. God wants this for his world, but it is only as they come to know his Christ as Savior. And so he wants this shalom and that his people are to be people of shalom, people of peace. And then we saw after that that God calls those people that he brings into shalom that they are to be people of justice, that they are to make wrongs right in the society in which they live. Justice characterizes God because that's what he did he made the ultimate wrong right in that we were broken and out of relationship with God on our way to an eternal, I mean, an eternally lost destiny, and he made it right through Christ. And we know and we will see here that, that this whole issue of justice had to be served. God could not bypass justice, and he doesn't today. And so justice was met in Christ. The punishment for our sins was placed on him. He took them all, and thus justice was now served, even though we did not deserve the way in which he caused it to happen. And so we are to be just people, always seeking to make things right. And what is that standard of right and wrong? It's God. It's not man-made. It is not man-concocted. It is God's standard and God's alone. And so then we also saw that God's people that have been brought into shalom and that are characterized by justice are also to be characterized by a self-sacrificing love. We saw that last week with Elder Wright as he spoke, that we are to be people because we have been loved both undeservedly and unconditionally, we are to do the same. We are to be like our Father. We are to love unconditionally and to those that we believe are undeserved of it. And so this love is not dependent upon what society says or what the culture does or what's going on around us or if it's favorable to us or if it makes us feel good. This is a love that was demonstrated by Christ. And we said that, and, and we see it in the scripture where it says that, that, that God demonstrates his own love toward us. How did he do it? In that, that word, in that, he is telling you how he did it, in that while we were still sinners, in other words, we were not for God, we were not on his side, we were opposing him, so while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we get the picture of this self-sacrificing, undeserved love. 
And so those three we saw are pictures, are characteristics of the people of God because they are characteristics of God himself. And today they all tie together in mercy. And see, it's because of the one who was the most merciful, the ultimate merciful being. God himself, through his son, Jesus Christ, was merciful in that you and I sit here today actually learning and wanting to learn about him because he was merciful. And there isn't anyone sitting in here today that can actually say, I've obtained mercy because God just knew he needed, he, he, he just had to give it to me. I was going to be a good return on his investment. He had to give me mercy because I deserved it. There isn't any of us in here today. You brought, I brought nothing to the table with God that would make him want to turn and look at me. And as long as we can remember that, we don't have to worry about dancing for his approval. His approval is yours when you embraced his Christ. Then you became approved. And so you seek to live a life for him. Why? Because you realized it was of his own free will, his own choice that he chose to love you and me. And that's really good because if, 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 I, if I couldn't do anything to get it, then I don't have to worry about dancing to keep it. Oh God, are you are you still happy? Are you are you still approved of me? Now there's some of you that say, well, hold on a second. What about living a holy life? You don't live a holy life so that God to prevent God throwing you out. That's not why you live. If you do, you have a life filled with and based on fear, and it will destroy you. You will get exhausted. You will want to quit because you cannot bear the weight of making God happy. He did that already in Christ. And so instead, because you are loved, <clears throat> because you have been loved unconditionally and undeservedly, you live out of that. Always knowing that your father is smiling, even when you are doing something that you have no business as a child and he has to discipline you. He's not disciplining you out of hating you. Like any good parent, he is disciplining you to get you back on the right path and in right relationship with him. And so with that, this morning, we are going to look at this mercy, hearts made soft, <clears throat> and how God's people are to, are to be characterized by this mercy. Once again, this mercy is not for me to become sheep or for me to be approved as sheep. It demonstrates that I am sheep. That's what it does. It demonstrates what has been happening inside. So just in case you leave here today and the only thing you get is, I got to be more merciful. I want you to stop for a moment and to think there isn't, once again, you didn't do anything to gain God's glance. And you're not going to do anything to keep his glance. You live out of love and you live like you're loved. And so today, when we look at mercy, we're going to see three things, the nature of mercy, the practice of mercy, and the mark of mercy. We're going to see those three things. Now, there's a part of this that is 
that is really sobering. I'm going to ask you guys to consider it greatly and to think through it greatly and to think what Jesus is saying. He is talking in both of these instances, in the, in the, in the scriptures in Luke and in his discourse in Matthew. Jesus himself is speaking. And so we need to understand and take seriously what he is saying and to understand what, what are the implications of what he's saying. So firstly, the nature of mercy. And if we look at the account, <clears throat> we know that this story comes about as a result of someone trying to test Jesus. I thought, I just, I don't quite understand. Maybe they hadn't learned up until this point. Is had he not demonstrated enough to you that you would think that this is a bad idea to test this man? But they had to learn. You know what we say, but someone's got to learn. And so when we see at the beginning of this section, <clears throat> verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer, which would have been, again, one of those Pharisees, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to, etern to inherit eternal life? Now, understand this clearly. Keep his question in mind when we finish this. First of all, he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And, and part of it is a wrong question. There isn't anything you can do. But his understanding was based on what, what had been revealed to them up until that point. Jesus' answer was, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, translate for us today. Now, we know then what was the law that God gave about inheriting eternal life? What did God give about living a life that God approves of? And then he says, how do you read it? He didn't say, what does it say? When he says, how do you read it? It's this interpretation. He says, how do you interpret that? What does the law say for you and I today? If you ask that, he would say, what does the word of God say? How do you interpret it? And so he takes him back. And as he does, the guy answers, being a good lawyer, understanding the scriptures. He says, and he answered, being a lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You know, that comes from Deuteronomy. Once again, that in the law that he was saying, this was the standard, love God, love people. Love God how? With everything you've got, with all of who you are. There isn't an ounce of you that should be out of step with loving God. That's number one. And then number two, because of number one, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, those are the two things. And so Jesus affirms it. He says to him, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Because remember, once again, he wanted to test them. He thought he could get him in a bind. He thought he could get him to contradict himself or to say something that would get him in trouble. He didn't understand that he was talking with the lawgiver. And so he understood it better than the one who thought he understood it. And then we get this point in it shows the nature of mercy. He said to him, no, no, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and you can almost hear it in his voice. See, the context helps us to understand 
what's being said, seeking to justify himself, what would your tone be? If you were trying to catch someone and to tie them up in their words and they answered you sufficiently and you were like, okay, wow, I didn't expect him to do that. Um, Let me throw something else. I don't want to leave here looking bad. I got to save face. I can almost imagine him saying, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to tell this story. And as he tells the story, what he unpacks are are several things about the nature of mercy. Why do I say he does? I'm going to go with you just for a moment, go to the end of this story. Many of us know it, we've heard it, we've read it. And he says to them at the end, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. That's the words that he used. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Understand, his first question was, how do I I inherit eternal life? His answer was, what does the law say? What does God's word say? It says, love God, love people um, with everything that you've got. He says, right. But he said, hold on a second. Love God and love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Okay, well, let me give you a story because I don't just want to tell you who your neighbor is. I want you to realize who your neighbor is. And in the story, he gives the nature. We know that this man was traveling on the Jericho Road, and there are many things that people can ask about this. The Jericho Road at certain points came through dark places and, and actually treacherous places, and it was known to have robbers. People that were walking down to or from Jericho would, <clears throat> would always be in danger. You didn't walk that road necessarily by yourself. And so he comes, and the Scripture says he falls amongst robbers and thieves, and here's what they do. They said they strip him and beat him and leave him half dead. We would hear about this on the evening news, that someone who was walking someplace got robbed, jumped, um, got mugged, and that they were left on the side of the road. And today I wonder how that would have played out, is that who would have filmed it as they walked by? Because there are people that walked by and understand the nature of mercy first. It is born out of love. What kind of love? a love for humanity, but that comes from God. For you and I today, that's what it is. It is born out of love that comes from God, but it is, it is also based on compassion. Mercy is based on compassion because let's look at what happened. The two people prior were two religious leaders, well-known, and those that should have, I mean, those that were held in high regard Um, in their culture, in their leadership standing, but in their religious standing. They were held high in esteem. And it gives us the two people that actually came by. He says the first one was a priest, and he was one who was around the altar, and he was one who was giving of the sacrifices. And the other one was a Levite, and then one who handled all the things relating to the relationship with God for the Jewish community. And they were set aside for that. And so here were two, here were, here were two men, here were two people that were under, understood to be under God's 
approval in hand that they should have known what was to be done. And look at what happened with them. Now, before we throw them under the bus and yes, see, they should have stopped. Let me ask you, would you have? Let me stop for a second. If you were walking down a dangerous part in your city, right here in Indy, and you were walking down the road and you came across somebody laying on the street, is that night, you by yourself. And you see someone there on the side, obviously beat up and hurt. And maybe you start wondering, hold on a second, is this some sort of scam? Is there someone waiting for me when I stop? I'm going to keep going because I don't know what's going to happen. Now, I'm not throwing you under the bus for not stopping because you, you, you go, okay, well, it just wasn't wise. But understand these men, what they were charged with. Go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. See, part of the law for both of them. Now, as you turn there, just hold on just for a moment. As you turn there, the nature of mercy is born out of compassion both of these men probably would have thought, if I stop, it will be too costly. Because number one, one of them is, if he is dead and I touch a dead corpse for the Levite and priest, I am now ceremonially unclean for a while and I can't dispense my duties. I can't be a leader in the synagogue. I can't. I can't do my duties as a pastor. What if I get sick and I can't do it? Because, you know, I'm the only one that can do it. That's how we think. I'm the only one that can do it. See, I don't want to get close because what if I'm out? Not who's going to fill in. It's more I want to make sure I stay in where I am. I don't want to be removed. And so the cost was too great for both of them. They saw and they walked by on the other side. In other words, what they saw did not move them enough to do something different. And it wasn't like it was just the average person. It were that these were two leaders. So let's read in the law, in the Levitical law, it says, verse 19, I mean, sorry, chapter 19, verse 34. <clears throat> It says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns, and stranger means immigrant. Remember, these, are, these would be non-Jewish. You would treat the stranger. So it says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. A, a clear mandate for them. And once again, these were two people who knew the law. But it was too costly because their hearts were not moved with compassion. And so they passed by. And so we also know that, that they did not show it, but the one who showed it was the one who was least likely to. I love that because God is saying your position doesn't really dictate whether you will have a heart of mercy or not. Uh, your, your, your title, what you do, um, 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 what you're concerned with is not what's going to guarantee that you'll respond to mercy. Actually, it's different. It is if you have been changed or if there's something in you 
It doesn't matter who you are. And so Jesus in this story, which I know everyone, especially the lawyer who tried to test him, would have had his lips turned way up because Jesus uses one of the biggest and fiercest enemies of the Jewish people as the hero of the story. He uses a Samaritan. And I can just imagine. These were the people, as you know, the Samaritans were those half-Jewish ones that when they were taken into captivity and, and, and the people that were left behind that weren't taken were forced to mix with and live with and have kids with and to grow up with these people that reminded them daily of, of their captivity, of the fact that God was disciplining them. And so the Samaritans were people that had no dealings, I'm sorry, people that had bitter and antagonistic dealings with one another. And Jesus uses him as the hero of his story. Why? Because he was showing you it doesn't matter what you do, it's about who you are. And I don't mean who you are culturally speaking, who you are in the heart. Look at what he says. And he says, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, three words, he had compassion. So what we, what we can deduct from this is that when the other two saw him, they lacked compassion. Why? Because they didn't do anything different. And these were people that reportedly, supposedly, were to be connected to God. And the guy who was unconnected was the one who demonstrated more God-like character than the people who were supposed to be connected. And so now the dude was trying to justify himself. He was just put on blast. And so we get here, he says, <clears throat> verse 34, he went to him. So first he had compassion, the nature of mercy. The nature of mercy is based on compassion, but it also, the nature of mercy demonstrates the character of God. He went to him. The nature of mercy um, has proximity to where the problem is. He went to him. He didn't shout at him. He didn't say, dude, why on earth would you be on this Jericho road by yourself? That was the dumbest thing. What did you expect would happen? You ought to known that this was going to be the result, dude. No, he went to him. Now, remember, if you look at the other verses, they crossed, they, the other two crossed on the other side. And so they, they really went away from him. And this guy went to him. The nature of mercy is compassion that, that actually disregards the cost, not frivolously. This was a calculated one. And he thought the cost is not too great for what I need to do. And what it demonstrated was more character than anything else. And that's the picture that God is trying to create for you and I. As people of God, who you are um, as followers of Christ should cause to well up in you compassion first for those who are lost, for those who are hurt, even if it's their own doing. And for some of us, we'll say, hey, well, 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 hold on a second. Are we just enabling bad behavior? No, we aren't. 
You can deal with the behavior later, but when he saw him, saw him, remember, stripped, which means he was naked. And in that society, boy, that is, that is so disrespectful. You, 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 have, you have lost all respect. You are shamed. So he was, he was stripped and beaten and half dead. He was on his way out. And instead of being concerned about the cost to him, the, the merciful person thought about the urgency of the need. And so he went to him. Now understand, the Samaritan was in the same danger that the other two would have been in. What if there was someone waiting? What if there was someone who was going to take advantage of me? Same scenario. Wasn't any different from him. And what did he do? He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, remember, he was on a journey, so he wasn't just walking through. I'm just on a stroll walking down through the Jericho Road. I I really don't have anything to do, so I had all this time. No, he was on a journey. He was going somewhere. He had a purpose, but he understood that his greater purpose at that time was demonstrating mercy. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Talk about lavishness. Make sure he's well taken care of. That innkeeper could have, hey, you and I would have been, I'm not saying that because that innkeeper could just, man, he could just rack up those charges. What if he takes advantage of me and says he needed something that he didn't really need? The cost was not too great. I know there's some of us today going, yeah, well, whatever. But understand the nature of mercy is that it is driven by compassion and meeting the urgent need in front of him. And he says to him, who, who was the one who was neighbor? Now, remember, he asked the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus didn't answer, who's my, here's your neighbor. He answered, who was the one who was neighborly? That's how he answered the question. And he goes, the one, look, the lawyer got it. The one who showed him mercy. There you go. Now, I guess he was through trying to justify himself. I think at that point, he was probably like, I just better take my losses and move on. And he says to him, go and do likewise. And so that's the nature of mercy. The practice of mercy is within that with. Within that same realm, we saw what he did. In other words, he left his agenda for the moment, knowing that he can get back to it. Because remember, he didn't stay around and forget his journey. He continued on his journey. The practice of mercy prioritizes the needs, which is what he did. Yes, his journey was important. Did it mean that he couldn't that he couldn't veer off from it for just a moment. In essence, he said, I'm still on that journey, but this is needed. And so he took care of it and he left because remember, he left him there. He didn't stick around to watch him get better. And so for you and I, the practice of mercy is prioritizing the needs based on the character of God and how I am to display it. And so he prioritized it. 
As a matter of fact, the practice of mercy, we'll see, if you go with me to Matthew 25, the practice of mercy. And give you just a little context here. Jesus, in his final discourse, is actually now talking about the final judgment, the reality of the final judgment. This is a parable, I mean, but it is one of a different kind in that he was talking about what was going to happen, what was to come, but he was sharing it in a particular form. And so he was sharing how this judgment is going to come about, but he shared it in a parable form. And so he says now, he says, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And so he gives them facts. There is a judgment coming, whether we think so or not, whether it looks like it or not. Jesus is talking now, and he says, when? He didn't say if, he didn't say perhaps. That is a when means it is going to happen at a future time. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will, I mean, before him will be gathered all the nations, and that word, ethnos, that would mean everyone, all ethnicities, all people. Your status won't matter at that time. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I think I've told you guys before, I got a great example of that. When we lived overseas, there was this youth hostel up the hill from where our church was. And we would go there with youth um, and have retreats. And one day I'm standing there and I'm actually getting ready to leave because I dropped off my kids and, <clears throat> and I'm watching this, this family that owned the host, uh, hostel had sheep and goats. And up until that point, I mean, you know, I believe and understood it, but I didn't grow up in a shepherding environment. I didn't grow up raising sheep and goats. And so although I understood what the scripture said, it didn't hit me like it would someone that grew up in their environment. And so, um, as a matter of fact, I didn't grow up in any environment that looked like farming. Somehow, I don't even think Brooklyn equates with farming anywhere. I know today they have organic gardens and people can do all that. Nothing. As a matter of fact, the only grass section in the housing project that I grew up in had a sign on it that said, keep off the grass. They didn't even want us on the only grass in the place. And so I'm watching this, and I realize, and he has separate the goat and the sheeps. And I realized, and the sheeps were all huddled in, in little groups, you know, and then he actually was m- moving them to another um, pasture. And so the dog would come out, and he would be in the front. And the dog would be in the back and the dog knew, you know, sheep just started scattering like this and the dog would come around barking and then the sheep would go this way back into the other and the other one would go. And I was like, wow, look at this. I'm like, it was a sheep dog. And so the dog was helping him herd them and they were crossing the road and he led and the dog helped and they got across. And then I looked over at the goat pen and man, I, I'm telling you, I learned a great lesson that day. I looked and it was about, about four or five goats, and they were just the most obnoxious little beasts. 
Oh my gosh, it was one who kept jumping on everything. He jumped, they, they had a little house building, jumped up on the house, then he jumped on one of the goats back, then he jumped around, then he came up the goat, and boom, they would just keep headbutting. That's all they would do. And then they were, they were fighting again, and then they separate, and then they come back, boom. And I, I was like, there's no way that these two animals can be together. And I looked at the sheep who were willing to be led and followed, and the goats who were so busy fighting. Budding, arguing. I mean, really, that's what it was. And, and, and it was normal. I mean, they were probably playing, but it was normal. And I sat there and it just hit me. Oh, my goodness. This great picture now. Understood it even more. And so he says, on that final day, on the final day, they will separate. I mean, he says, there will be a judgment. And just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats is what I will do on that day. There will be two different groups. And in this scenario, he says there will be something that distinguishes these groups. But first, he says the practice of mercy is that, verse 25, and to go on down just to the group that's approved, I'm going to get to more about that in a moment, but the group that's approved, he says to them, Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Wow. And so all these actions, he says, this is this is what this no, this didn't make you a child, but this is what demonstrated what was residing inside you. Please hear that. And I said that in the beginning, there isn't anything that you and I can do that makes God want to turn and want us. So it is this is not about giving back. This is not about you giving enough that God somehow goes, ooh, I really need her. Not at all. What this is about is you demonstrating who you are by how you live. And that's what he did here. And so he says here that you did all these things. Please, see, see, he says, come on in. But the practice of mercy, prioritizing need. Can I tell you one of the other things about the practice of mercy? It was no big deal for them. They were surprised. Why do I say that? Look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Like, well, hold on a second. I, I don't remember doing that. When did we do that? Thank you for letting us in. Because I would I'd be like, thank you. I'm glad you, the Lord, sees that. And you know that about us. But when did we do that? When did we bless you like that? Because we never saw you in our life. We never physically saw you. We didn't come up, what's up, Jesus? How you doing today? I never, we never saw you. What does he say? Man. He says, and the king answered, verse 40. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, there is great debate over that. Is who is he talking about? Is he talking about believers? Is he talking about anyone in general? 
You know, and, and here, when he uses that word brothers, he's talking about those that were of the family of God. Okay, well, let's just use the family of God then. We'll make it easy on us. Because back then, especially as the gospel was being proclaimed, that believers were going to be under great and intense persecution. And many of the itinerant preachers and people that were proclaiming, and we saw it in the apostles, that that they lost families, that they lost influence, that they lost so many different things because they proclaimed Christ. They lost jobs. They were threatened with their lives. Many times they could go hungry. We have some of that today in some of our different countries. We don't experience it here yet. But in some countries today, that is the norm. And he says, when you reached out, to the least of these. What do you mean by the least? The, the ones whom seem the least, the most marginalized, the most thrown to the side. When you did it to them, you were doing it to me. Understand the critical nature of it. it is, the practice is they prioritize the need and they don't even think of it as something grand. It's a part of who they are. Mercy. The practice of mercy. And then lastly, it's the mark of mercy. And I'm going to stay here at Matthew 25 because this is the sobering part. See, he says to them, come into, come into the kingdom prepared from the foundations of the world. And one of the marks the, the, the mark for them was how they lived. What was it based on? Once again, it was not based on them proving to God that he needed to look at them, but it was because they were his. It was just natural for them, and they followed those godly inclinations to be merciful, not, not shutting off their heart to people. For those of you who have been studying along in your small groups, um, we looked at First John where he says, if you have this world's goods and a brother comes that is in need and it says, and you close your heart off to them. Boy, that is a strong term. How can you say the love of God abides in you? In other words, you can't is what he's saying. You really don't love God if your first and your response to someone that has a need that you can meet. I'm not talking about one that's way too great that you can meet, that you close that you, and here, when, when you close your heart off to someone, you willingly and purposefully say, I'm not helping and here's why. I'm not going to show compassion and here's why. You put yourself let me tell you, today, one of the biggest dangers for us as believers is this concept of the deserved poor. What do I mean by that? Or the deserved mercy folk. People that I think deserve it. You are in a position where you need help, and I think you deserve my help. But the other side is there are people that I come across and I close my heart off to because I go, you don't deserve it. Because if you hadn't been doing ABC, you wouldn't be in this mess. I'm talking about as a believer. I haven't gotten to the unbeliever yet. Had you, had you, been, had you been doing, these are just the consequences of your actions. Now, 
Understand, that may be true. But what is to be my response as a follower of Christ, knowing that I've been given mercy based on love that was not because of what I did? That is the driver here. God is telling us, listen, when he said in Leviticus that you are to walk with the stranger, that you are... That, that you are to accept them, that you are to help them, that you are to embrace them. Why? He says, because you were strangers in Egypt. He gives them the picture. That was you. How dare you tell somebody else, no, you don't deserve it. And God looks back at us and be like, what? And you did? You deserved it, right? And you stand there like, mm, no, I didn't, Lord. But what if they use me? I'll deal with that. And you can come back around and deal with some of those issues later. One of the problems as believers today is that we don't get up close with people that are hurting. We don't get in with people because like those other two that walked on the side of the road, I didn't want to get dirty. It cost too much. I might get hurt. Something bad might happen. So I close my heart off. God says what that may be demonstrating is that you don't know me. Because he says to them in Matthew, listen, come into the kingdom because you've done, and, and, and I know this messes with some people because they say, well, hold on a second. How can that cause them to get into the kingdom? Understand, and it's not what they, not what they were doing, but the heart that went behind them wanting to do it. Because understand, those people that they served were not going to benefit them in any way. They weren't getting something back. This wasn't a smart investment. This wasn't a good use of time. They were not going to get that time, money, energy back probably at any time. Not from that group. And for some of us today, we don't move because that group brings me nothing. That group can't help me. That group can't set me up. That group can't put me in a position I want to be in. Or that group might take me. People might think differently of me if I get in and help that group. And so he says to them, they were like, whoa, we were, we were just doing life. When did we see you? And he said, here's when you saw me. And then he goes to the other group. And he says to them, which is really sobering, then, then they will also, I mean, verse 44, then they also will answer saying, Lord, no, I'm sorry, back up, my fault. Then he will say, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, and you know in Scripture, left really, a right represents those who are approved and accepted by God on his right hand. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And on his left hand is usually, it is meant and is described as those who have been rejected by God. And he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He was like, wow. He was like, he is sending you to somewhere that wasn't even prepared for you, but you are acting like the ones who it was prepared for. That floored me. 
You are acting like you are living like the ones who it was prepared for. And he says to them, for, why am I sending you near? For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they were like, same question, same response. They were surprised. Lord, hold on a second. When did we see you and not help you? When did we do this? Except on this side, this is a different surprise. This is a Oh, snap, surprise, like, uh-oh. Lord, when did, when did we see you? We, we, I mean, give us a clue. We didn't see you. That's just it. You weren't like me. You didn't live like me. As a matter of fact, you lived for yourself all your life. And what you demonstrated was that you were the God of your own life. That's what you demonstrated. And that there was a cost that was too great Everything was too great because it came into conflict with what you wanted out of life and what you wanted to do and you wanted to live your best life now. I know someone's going to give that, you know, and, 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 and hey, I, I wanted to do all of this on my own and I didn't want any of y'all to mess any of this up. Look, I got goals. I got plans. I got things to do. And God says, you sure do. And at the end, don't come looking at me because you lived for you. And boy, when I saw this, I was like, God, he makes the mark, the distinguishing mark on how I handle people that need mercy. And I either close myself off or I open myself up. And what it determines is if there's any change that has happened in my life. And you may say, well, wow, God, I've got work to do. No, you may not have work to do. You just may have to open yourself up to the Lord. That's all you may need to do. You may, lead, you may need to let him in to change your heart. Well, God, they don't deserve it. And he goes, neither did you, but you sit here. But God, what if they hurt me? God goes, and you didn't hurt me? Oh, my goodness. Shall we go back in time? What if they use and abuse me? You forget who you live for. And so the issue becomes for you and I. Wow, who is our neighbor? The mark of mercy. Those that will, those that will demonstrate it and dispense it, demonstrate that they are belonging to God and have a heart for God. Those who close their heart off and do not dispense it, really demonstrate that they don't know God. I'm talking about repeatedly. I'm not talking about you had this happen once in your life and now all of a sudden you're damned to destruction. No, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about a lifestyle, how you live. Remember, if you live for yourself, huh, you're going to have to handle the only, I mean, your own consequence for your judgment. But if you live for Christ, he's paid it all every bit. And so he ends it and he says, Whew. then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, those that could not benefit you, help you, nor society did not regard, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And you see the distinguishing 
this is critical. He is saying your life and your acts of mercy determine where your heart is. So mercy, hearts made soft. You can't make your own heart soft, so don't try. Don't leave here today saying, I need to be more merciful. No, leave here today saying, does God have my heart? And is he making it soft that when I encounter in my world this level of need, how do I respond? And my question is for you is, do I go back to God and say, oh, God, help me. I don't think I'm responding like you want. Change my heart. Do something inside me because you and I can't conjure this up. I did five acts of mercy and I did two feed the hungry and I did one went to the prison. No, it doesn't work like that. God is saying, what's going on in your heart while you're doing this? Are you just waiting? Did I put my phone down? I did. Oh, let me see. No. Are you waiting to capture a moment? I'm doing a social experiment. Mm, are you really? Looks like you're doing a grandstanding experiment. Because if I'm really doing a social experiment, do people need to see it? They can just hear your results and your findings. Or I'm going to help these people out, but I want you to see it. Now, if someone sees it, it's not bad. But are you just doing it so people can see it? What is in your heart? Are you seeking to do it to get a benefit? Because if you are, is it from the heart? Is it really? Well, yeah, it is. But what kind of heart is it from? See, the issue becomes for you and I. Man, the issue becomes for you and I. Where is our hearts? It will show in the way we treat and deal with others. It will show. And so the prayer today isn't, oh, God, help me to be more merciful. That's not the prayer. The prayer today is, oh, God, soften my heart that my response will be one of mercy when I encounter the needs of those that society has thrown to the side. Not the deserved poor or those that deserve just people who have needs, period. And so my question to us today is, who is your neighbor? Remember, he said, who is your neighbor? Well, I'm going to throw back the question that Jesus asked. Who proved to be the neighbor of the one who had the need? And so let me ask you, who is your neighbor? Okay, and are you one that are proving to be a neighbor to the one that is in critical need? Or are you busy sizing them up? and trying to determine if they deserve it. Last question is, are you trying to justify yourself or are you demonstrating that you belong to Christ by your mercy? Are you trying to justify yourself like the lawyer in the beginning or are you trying to demonstrate you belong to Christ by the life you live. And you would actually be surprised if Jesus were to reward you because you thought it was just natural. Hey, that's, it was just what I did. I didn't realize I was helping you, Lord. Where is your heart? If it's merciful, it's being made soft. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, for your love for us. Father, for your care and your concern. Lord, we can spend so much more time
in these two texts, and they have been. But Lord, today we wanted to show, God, that how you make our hearts soft. Lord, when you enter it and we dispense and demonstrate mercy. Father, it is costly and it may hurt. But Father, we see it as absolutely necessary because our hearts are drawn that way. Because of who we are, we love you. And Father, I pray today, God, that you would soften our hearts, that because of the mercy that you gave us and because of the overwhelming ultimate mercy that Jesus showed in coming to this earth, taking on human form, living a, 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 a perfect life, dying a grueling death, and resurrecting in victory, God, so that we would be close. Father, that we would see that because of that mercy that was given, that we give it freely. Father, help us to deal with how to handle when we feel we are being used and abused. Father, you tell us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord, and he will exalt you in the right time, casting all our cares on you, Lord, because you care. And so, Lord, as we do that, Father, the only thing we're concerned with is expressing our heart that should be characterizing your character or demonstrating your character. Father, help us to bypass this world's conditioning. Father, and help us to show the compassion, the mercy, the love, and the justice. Father, Micah 6, 8 tells us that you have told us what is good. And what do you require? Lord, it says to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Father, may that be us. May we be people of justice because you are a God of justice. May we do mercy because you have done mercy to get us to be your child. And may we walk humbly because we know our place. You are sovereign. You are God. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. It been long today, and I know we had quite a bit of scripture. I would urge you to read over those two. As a matter of fact, even if you're looking in your books this week for study, you can even read over Acts 6 which will show as well how the church handled an injustice situation that could have separated it and how God used spiritual, mature people to keep it together. You can read Acts 6 as well. And so today, maybe you're sitting here and you go, wow, that, that, is, that is not me. I am not merciful. That does not characterize my heart and my life. You have to ask yourself why, doesn't it? Now, these people are just so annoying, Lord. Well, they may be. Just people just do not deserve it. No, they're right. They don't. And yet God calls us to be people of mercy. And if you find yourself struggling in that area, ask yourself why. And if you've never made that choice to embrace the finished work of Christ, that you realize he is um, the only savior for man's sin because we were born in sin and that you realize that he came to die so that he would pay the price and be merciful so that I would be in communion with God. If you've never done that, if you've never asked for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and to embrace his sacrifice. If you never, you can today. Please don't leave without doing that. Talk to me. Talk to anyone else as we gather outside. Talk to a friend or someone that you know knows God. And get it right. Let your heart be made soft so that you can live for him. And at the end, for him to say, enter into the kingdom that was prepared from, the found, from when the world was set, this kingdom was being established. Father, I pray today, if there are any here that do not know you, that indeed they would bend, bow, and turn and trust you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So today, as we get ready to leave, just a couple of things. If you are visiting with us for the first time, have a couple of cards. You can either fill out if you want. There are some that will be handed out. Um, if you are visiting, we just want to know who you are. And, or you can um, scan the code in the back. If you don't want to touch the paper, you don't want to touch the pen, you don't bring your own pen, that's okay. You can scan it with your phone, form will come up, and when you send it on back, it comes in to us. And so on it, it was just be us getting connected to you, thanking you for coming. If you are here for the first time, thank you so much for coming. Or if you are returning guests, thank you for coming with us, especially in these times. And it was hard for folk to come out, um, but thank you for coming out. And so please, if you can, just fill one of those out. It just helps us so much. But also on the other end, we want to be able to welcome this morning um, a couple who has joined us a couple Sundays ago and actually um, about three Sundays ago had made it clear that they had wanted to actually join with us in fellowship and so spoke with them two Sundays ago and they're here today. I just want to introduce you to them. You guys, when we gather outside, just say hello and to meet them. Um, we're so glad that both uh, Miracle and his wife, Sherry, uh, um, Ezra, if you can just stand just real quick so people can know who you are. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. We are so grateful that they have chosen to walk with us as a family of God. Please get to know them. Please get to talk with them some um, as we gather outside. And you know what? Let's just welcome them and embrace them warmly. I do ask that those that are involved in our new members can just make sure that we get the information from them that we need um, and that we can begin to, to journey with them as we walk together. God is still growing his church. Understand, God is not swayed by a virus. The kingdom didn't close or shut down because of a virus. The family of faith is still growing and is still there. And whether we can meet in person, parking lot, Zoom, it doesn't matter. The family of God doesn't go away because of a human crisis. As a matter of fact, what the family of God should be doing is showing how strong it is in the middle of the crisis. As a matter of fact, I was reading something that was showing that how during the, during the Spanish flu, that how the people that were getting in close and helping those that had been affected so negatively by this virus, of course, they didn't have the technology and all the personnel like they do now, but some of the people that had put themselves at risk, I'm not saying you need to do this, all the people that were putting themselves at risk and were getting with people and helping them to heal and to get better were believers at that time. 
was reading how they were, how the church stepped up. And so for us, I say today, how is the church stepping up? How are we stepping up? How are we going to be known through this crisis? How are we going to be known through this time of difficulty? Let it be according to the will and the way of God. And so this morning as we go, ushers will direct you one exit or another and um, um, just have a great Sunday. Um, have a great rest of the week. Go with God and look for opportunities to demonstrate mercy this week. Who is going to be your neighbor? Jesus answered that for the lawyer, but he also answered it for you and I. Have a great week. God bless you in the hands of our ushers. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.